You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Evelyn Aka, founder and CEO of Aka Business Immigration Law. Aka Business Immigration Law, with offices in Calgary, Vancouver, and Toronto, Canada, exclusively practices immigration law, helping its clients cross borders seamlessly and smoothing the way for business and personal immigration travel. Welcome, Evelyn. We're so pleased to have you here on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so much, Davina. I'm really excited and I'm really honored to be included in your, your wonderful group of um, people that you've interviewed to date. really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I was just uh, saying to you earlier that I, was, I feel so fortunate because I get to do this work. I get to interview all kinds of interesting people. And I'm excited about our conversation today because, boy, you have, you have, you've done a lot of things. And I really (laughs) want to dig in and talk about, I think that other women lawyers listening to this are really going to benefit from this conversation today. So why don't we just start? I really hope so. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we just start out with you just telling us about your firm and how you serve your clients in your firm. Give us an idea kind of how big your firm is, how many employees you have. I I know you've got three offices, so just tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about the firm. Absolutely. Well, ACA Business Immigration Law started almost 10 years ago. 2020 is our 10th year, so we'll be rolling out a lot of new and interesting marketing around making it and thriving in 10 years. Um, And really, our firm's focus is to be um, a firm that helps empower people to pursue their dreams and passions by providing freedom of movement and opportunity. And so I used to be, you know, a partner at a big global law firm. And for me, it was time to make a change. In 2010, it was December 1, I launched ACA Business Immigration Law. I wanted to practice law differently. I was going to be adopting twins on my own as a single parent. And I knew things had to change. And so currently at ACA Law, we have a staff of eight to 10 people, depending who's in the office. We do have some virtual employees as well. Um, And we are all focused on Canadian and NAFTA U.S. immigration law from coast to coast to coast. And uh, our our office, our main office is in Calgary, Alberta, near Banff and uh, Lake Louise in Alberta. And the other two offices are virtual offices. Since I'm originally from Vancouver, I'm going there this afternoon, actually. So when I'm in Vancouver, I have an office there to meet clients. And when I'm in Toronto, where I also practiced for 12 years on Bay Street, I see clients there as well. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of questions I have today. And I want to start out. Um, for, I'm excited that, that you have a, that you're celebrating your 10 year anniversary. So happy anniversary. That's <laughs> Thank exciting. Thank you. We yeah. survived. <laughs> and you know what? Last you year we thrived. had our best, like. we are thriving. Last year was our best year ever. And, you know, I think with, with some of the affiliations and even listening to your wonderful podcast and seeing some of the material that's out there with from incredible women lawyers and women business people, I've really been able to learn you know, a lot. And I continue to always be looking to learn and improve and change and develop. Um, and that's been the, the real focus for me in the last few years. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, you have, uh, you know, with three offices and eight to 10 employees, plus using some virtual resources, um, that, that is a really impressive uh, law firm at the 10 year mark because oftentimes um, I find with women owned law firms that a, a lot of women owned law firms really struggle for that kind of growth, you know, mm-hmm. even after yeah. seven, eight, nine, 10 years, they, they struggle to get that kind of growth. And uh, my own personal theory on it is it's kind of that high achieving women syndrome where we just feel <laughs> like we can do everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we don't reach out for help to get other people to build a team to help us do it. What was kind of that? Did you start out um, with your firm with that vision in mind or did it uh, sort of grow organically or, or what happened? Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, I mean, so I think the one of the main differences with Canadian lawyers, you know, in Canada, we're lawyers. We don't call ourselves attorneys, the same thing. But in Canada, when you finish law school, you have to spend a year working at a law firm articling. So it's like a mandatory year of training. We don't just mm-hmm. open our door once we pass the bar and and start practicing law. So I did that. I left Vancouver, British Columbia when I finished law school at UBC and I moved to Toronto. And I had, I was at a big firm articling. And again, it's very much the experience of working with 500 lawyers and then it became a global law firm and then it was just massive. And I just kind of kept working my way up. I made partner. And I think at some point in that, I started thinking like, there's got to be more than working 20 hours a day and, you know, not really enjoying my life fully the way I wanted to and right. looking for freedom that I wasn't getting, that I thought the more money I made, the higher profile I got, the more senior my role became, I'd have the freedom. And I would look around at late at night working and see the same partners were working just as hard as the junior lawyers. And I thought something has to change. So mm-hmm. when I left, I left thinking that one, I'm going to be a single parent by choice and I need to have time to actually be a parent. And two, I was feeling limited by some of the inflexibility of big firms. Like it's like moving a big ship, right? Everything takes longer. So try to be innovative and utilize different technology and try different fee structures and all of those things, flat fee arrangements, um, subscription arrangements. Big firms don't always do well with that. They're still based on that. Let's build by the hour. No matter how expensive your hourly rate was, I think I was at $600 or $700 an hour. It was crazy. And it was just kind of like, I felt I needed to make a change. And so what I was really fortunate in is by the time I left, you know, now it was, I started in 2010, I had been a lawyer for when I've been a lawyer for almost 18 years. And, um, or am I right? Let me think. I became a lawyer in 1999. So no, I've been a lawyer for about I'm, I'm so bad with math, I can't even figure it out. But um, for quite a while, maybe 15 years, and at the end of it all. And so for me, it was, I basically just took my practice with me. So it was like, I have my practice, and because clients make the decision of where they want to go, even if they were large corporate clients, global multinationals, when it comes to immigration, it's quite personal, even if it's corporate immigration, which is what I was doing almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. So I basically took my practice with me. So I'm very fortunate. I did not start at ground zero. Right. I just kept going with what I had to grow what I have built. And that's wonderful. So you're so a lot of your clients elected to go with you. That's mm-hmm. that's a terrific way to start. Because that was going to be my next question: Is did you have fear? I mean, here you are building this 
hourly rate. So you probably had a really Mm -hmm. great salary and benefits Mm -hmm. and all that. And so, and here, and here you are kind of your impetus for doing this leaving is you're thinking about, you know, I really want to start a family. Um, And so what did you have fear around the money piece? You know, can I replace this um, income that I'm making, Mm -hmm. especially now that I'm going to be a single parent? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, I think fear has driven a lot of the things I've done over the years, you know. And I a powerful motivator. Yeah, and I think as as lawyers, especially entrepreneur women lawyers, we are fearless. And I think there's a part of being an entrepreneur that you face the fear and you do it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that resiliency that I think the confidence that comes over time knowing that I've done this before. I can do it again. I, you know what I mean? And I think, yeah, I was scared. And I also was, I had prepared a little bit. So I knew I had money set aside and I had financing set aside, all of that. I put things in the process, but literally it took three weeks. I literally started my firm and everything just evolved. I had the website, the branding. It was crazy because I knew if you're leaving a firm, even if it's on really good terms and your clients have made their decisions, like 95% of them came with me. At the end of the day, you want to be able to service them as quickly as possible. There can't be a gap with all, you know, once all the boxes yeah, get transferred. They're expecting the same level of service Absolutely. that they've been receiving, even though you're a brand new firm. Absolutely. So I needed an address. I hired a paralegal. It was just me and a paralegal in a big room full of boxes, and we started the practice. And so, yeah, I think fear is is common. Every day there's a certain element of fear in taking risks. And I think being a high achiever, m- number of us women lawyers, we're used to managing that stress as long as there's a strategy in place, right? I knew I wasn't right. going to be on the street, but I also knew I had to hustle and show them that as quickly as possible, things would be seamless and that we'd be doing things exactly the same, if not better. And that was the messaging. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have the vision for, you know, I'm going to have multiple offices and I'm going to have a, a, a big team to support me or were you, or were you just kind of going into it thinking, you know, if I, if I can make this work, you know, me and my paralegal, I'm golden. Right. And it just sort yeah. of evolved naturally. I mean, what, what was your thought oh, process? Did you start wish- with a vision in mind? <laughs> I wish I could say I had a vision and a business plan all set out, but no, I th- now I do, of course, right? But yeah, I right. Think in that first year or two, it was very much, let's just do the work. Let's just do the work. And then it got to be too much. And I actually did become an adoptive parent. And so I had to hire an associate that knew immediately what she was doing. And interestingly enough, she lived in Vancouver. You know, again, it's hard to find great people sometimes in your market. So that she was my first hire that wasn't admin hire, wasn't a paralegal, wasn't a legal assistant. And she happened to be in Vancouver, but she was able to just get up and go because we came from the same corporate firm background mm-hmm. and she was looking for change. So that's, that's what allowed me to have a little bit of a mat leave and work part-time slowly coming back to, to business was I knew that at least for six to eight weeks while I was finishing my adoption process and I was you know out of the country, that Somebody I knew and trusted who was just as skilled as me was managing my clients. So it happened like that. It it evolved, um, you know, very naturally. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I had an associate in Vancouver and then we had an office for her. And then, you know, that's kind of how things evolved in my practice. And so you adopted right about, you know, shortly after you got Mm -hmm. your practice up and running, you 
chose to adopt as a single parent. And how many children do you have? What are their ages? I still, I have two, the same two. They're, they're twins, a boy and a girl, and uh, they're just delightful, Nate and Lauren. And I adopted them uh, in July of 2011. So basically within seven months of starting my firm, wow. I was like, oh, and I, be, I you do nothing becoming. small, do you? You go all, all in, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, big, life, go big or go home, right? I know. Well, life just happens. And, you know, I couldn't have children. And I just always thought I've had this really big life. I've traveled the world. I've done so many things. But for me, I did all those things because I knew when they were done, I wanted to transition into being a mom. And it's interesting right now because I'm actually now getting married this year in August. It's so funny how life evolved, right, after all of that. But I think it's all about the journey. And so, yeah, I had to manage running a business with staff and one virtual. And then we had a second virtual. And all of a sudden, I had a firm. And I came back full time, you know, after a few months off. Well, you're never really off when you run a business. But you know what I mean? with the kids exclusively and maybe checking emails when they're napping and things like that. But, and I had a practice and then it was, wow, how am I going to keep all these people fully busy and utilized now that I'm back? And so that was how the firm evolved. How old are, how old were they when you adopted? How old are they now? Oh, they were four days old. (laughs) They literally give you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was crazy. They literally give you car seats and say, here you go at the adoption agency. Here you go. We'll see you in a few weeks when we finish the paperwork for the court. And then you can get passports and you're done. So so my mom and my my dad, um, my sister, we all ended up um, uh, going on the trip. And it was such a wonderful time. You had to travel with newborns. Yeah. And of course, I knew immigration, right? (laughs) So I was able to take care of all the immigration myself and and come into Canada. They were a month old and uh, start our lives. Yeah. How exciting. How exciting. And that and twin. I mean, uh, my sister has twins. So I know how challenging (laughs) that is when you bring home Mm -hmm. two babies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is. That's a lot. And it's, and it's a lot, you know, the whole time you're growing up, it was always, you, you can't ever get something for one. You always have to get for two. Constant. So. Everything is two. Every business trip I go on, I come back, I pick up something at the airport or, you know, the hotel or whatever. Yeah. And it's like one for you, one for you. That's how it is in my life. <laughs> yeah. I always said that with my sister, we, I have two sisters, one older, and one younger, and they, uh, my older sister and I don't have children. And my youngest sister was, well into her thirties when she had the boys and they're the only grandchildren my parents have. Oh. And I always said the reason that she had to is because we needed more than one to soak yes. up all that love that we had, <laughs> you know, because they, if we should have one, they'd have just been smothered by Boy, all of boiled us. Boiled to death. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they're spoiled enough as they is, but I mean, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful kids. They're uh, teenagers now, but oh. um, we just, you know, they're just the light of our lives. And so, yeah. It's, it's and my, and mine are too. the only grandchildren as well. So you can just imagine the support. Yeah. And everybody oh, yeah. just, they're surrounded with love from real family, biological family, extended family, community of family. And one thing is definitely as a single parent, you realize it takes a village. It truly does. Obviously, really? you have a caregiver and live in nanny from the beginning. That's the only way my life works. But it's everybody from the neighbors to the school to the friends and family, everybody that you call on when you need them. And so we're very lucky. Yeah. 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 That's so wonderful. And, and, 
And you were able to do that and grow this, mm-hmm. you know, wealth generating business, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, is which is amazing. So share some of your secrets, you think, for <laughs> your ability to do that and to, to be a mom to newborns and really be a CEO of, of a business. Um, oh, do you, wow. What do you think? I mean, did you have any sort of business background when you started doing this? Or Not at all. Of, yeah. Not at all. I mean, like I was, you know, when you're a small fish in a humongous pond of big firm, you're just another partner, another associate. Um, you see how they, they run things. I knew a lot about business development. I had to actually work. I started my career at a professional services accounting and law firm that's global. And so one thing I loved about professional services is they were way ahead of lawyers when it came to entrepreneurship and um, development and management expertise and, and selling, you know, selling mm-hmm. the professional services. I always felt like they were ahead of the curve. Lawyers were always a little bit slower generally to, yeah. to catch up with that. And so that really helped me. I was there for six years. I learned a lot. And when I left that accounting firm model with the law firm attached, I moved to a, a you know, a national law firm here in Canada that's now global. And it was basically, I have no clients because you can't really move clients from an accounting firm, but I know how to sell. I know how to market. I know how to develop. And so that helped me a lot. And I, within a year, I had grown a practice and it was basically grown a practice in the firm. And that means marketing to your partners, marketing to your departments right. across all the different offices, doing presentations, letting them know how you can help their clients, how you can make them look like superstars, how you can, you know, support them as their businesses are growing. And so that was how I did it. Um, but my view, honestly, is you, you have to be doing something you love because the struggle is real, right? And if you don't right. love it, it, it makes it just, it comes across. People can sense that you're just doing this for a paycheck as opposed to you're really invested in their success and their, their growth as an organization. And even the individuals we help on the personal family sponsorship side of immigration, the same thing. We are so excited when their families arrive and they're all reunited. We feel like we're a part of that journey. Um, so no, I had no business experience. I had to get good bookkeepers. I've gone through a few, you know, good accountants. I've gone through a few mm-hmm. in 10 years. But I feel like as time goes on, I do see the value of knowing how to sell your services, how to Mm -hmm. distinguish yourself from other people, what makes you different, right? I think Um, that if you've got the marketing piece, mm -hmm. that is, that is a huge, huge piece because if you can get clients, get good clients, ideal Mm -hmm. clients, you know, clients you're really excited about working with and you're really clear on your mission and your brand, if you've got that part down, that goes such a long way because you can then have the funds to be able to hire people to help with other aspects of the business that may not exactly. be wheelhouse, right? Absolutely. Like finances are not my, I am <laughs> not that person. And I've always, right. you know, obviously you hire an accountant, hire a bookkeeper from day one. I was not ever trying to do payroll done by someone else. Our bookkeeper, right. you know, we outsource as much as we can to professionals who know what they're doing. And so when people call and say, well, why do I need an immigration lawyer? Can I just do this on my own? And I say, would you do your own dental work? Would you do surgery on yourself? What's at stake for you if you get it wrong? You know, and when they think about it like that, 
you know, what's at stake for you if you can't be reunited with your family or you can't cross the border to do this job for your employer? What's at stake? And when you see it that way, I think they sometimes think, oh, yeah, you're worth it. And that's what we want. We don't want to be a commodity. But I have to say, I mean, we were doing really well, had the same practice. We grew a little bit up and down. If you, you know, we had about seven, eight hundred thousand dollar practice. But then the recession hit here in Alberta, which is oil and gas was affected. The price of oil, you know, we're, we're basically like the Texas of Canada in, right. in my province. And although we do work for clients all over the world, it somehow started to, to trickle down and hit us. And we went from our best year to our worst year. We went down like 35% in 2016. And I was scared. I was scared because I even had to lay off one employee, which I'd never laid off anybody in my life because I'd always said, if I hire you, I'm guaranteeing you employment. As long as we're all happy, you're happy, I'm happy, I would never lay anybody off. And I had to lay somebody off. And I did end up hiring her back a few months later. But that's when my practice changed because I I realized I kind of hit my max where it was like, 650 to 800. I couldn't seem to move out of that number. Um, And I started realizing I needed more help because I was doing all the same things I had always been doing and adding a few little tweaks here and there, but I wasn't changing how I practiced. And in that year, I joined a business group of lawyers that has really helped me because essentially you sit down, there are a group of maybe 300 of us, we meet every quarter, but to hear that everybody else who owns a small law firm was having the same types of issues with staff, keeping and finding, identifying and promoting good employees and motivating them, and then training good people, losing them to big firms. That's what happens in small firms sometimes, and it's painful, right? We invest all that time, and then they get wooed away by maybe more money or whatever it is, and the prestige of being at a big firm, and where, which is where I came from. So that's always challenging. But it also started marketing differently, and I hired, I realized I had to get online, more than just a great website, more than just the occasional video or webinar. I had to be active on social media. So I hired a wonderful blogger, and we've been working together now for like three years. I definitely attribute a lot of my growth and my social media presence to her. She she forces me, to, she does two or three blogs every week. She forces me to do videos every week. I do a podcast now. We have a podcast called Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer, Evelyn Aka, and we, we do it every month. Um, and she's trying to get me to do more. But I think it started me learning and changing how I practice, recognizing how people are looking for lawyers. They're not necessarily just saying, hey, do you know a good immigration lawyer? That's how it used to be. Now they go on and they search themselves. Corporations find me on Google, which I find still kind of baffling when they're looking for a new outsourced, you know, immigration lawyer to help them, Um, not just individuals. And so by targeting online, social media, website, the presence, writing, you know, now I'm working on a book for later this year as well. It's all helped us. And we've exceeded 1.3 million last year. Wow. That's so, so exciting. I'm so grateful, but it's been a journey. And, you know, you're constantly trying to improve and using technology as well. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with the social media presence. And I, you know, it, it is such, I know it's a double-edged sword for some people, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it requires effort to do it. But it's also such a, a first of all, it's the way that people are, 
interacting with information these days, right? Mm -hmm. Because you think about it, like we used to be when, when the internet first became a thing, you know, we'd go to news sites and read news sites and stuff like that. Now the news we get is coming through our social feeds. The information we get is coming through our social feeds or our, you know, podcast or videos or things like that. We are consuming in a different way. And so we have to be there, right? Be in that mm -hmm. marketplace. And, and I, I think that it's, it's a double-edged sword for some attorneys because they look at all the effort, but think about it this way, how it's such an affordable way yes. to put yourself out there. I mean, gone is, you know, you don't have to worry about pitching the only newspaper in town to get a story yeah. in the paper. You don't have to worry about paying for expensive billboards or even TV spots. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can if you want, but yeah. it social media just gives such a nice organic way to, to put our own version of the story out there and our own to control the narrative and Absolutely. put our own perspective out there. And it can really mm -hmm. make it, it can really make a difference in your business. Um, and I don't see enough women law firm owners um, are putting content out there. A lot of it comes from kind of this fear of being visible and mm -hmm. fear of having a point of view or maybe even putting something out there and having other attorneys challenge what you put out there. <laughs> or, yeah, I you know. know. Lawyers are so, we're so critical of ourselves, right? right we're so right. critical as lawyers. And I think one thing too is, you know, and I, I always think everybody should have a business coach of some sort. So yes, I know you offer that support as well. I think everybody needs at least to have somebody that they work with on the business side that helps them because it's easy to get very myopic and you don't see the bigger picture sometimes because you're just hustling. You're just trying to get through each day. And when you have that external, you know, coach or um, colleague or somebody who can direct you and, and challenge you and also kind of question, ask you questions. Why are you doing this? Is this working for you? What's your ROI? Give me your numbers. You know, what's your dream? How do you turn that into reality? I think we need that. And I think a lot of business women, you know, maybe don't think it's a worthwhile investment. It has been the difference for me in growing. Yeah. I think I'd still be in the same place with happy existing clients for sure, because I take care of them and we build relationships. That's what it's all about. You know, that's why I think I love immigration is it's personal. Whether they're the CEO of a multinational, I know how much you make. I know what you look like. I know your family dynamic and the structure and the children and the stress of moving. I know you and we build that rapport. But when, you know, when I think you're doing it on your own to try to attract new people, you need different perspectives. So I think everybody, every couple of years should maybe, you know, find someone new that brings something new to their career and to their practice that they can add and grow with. Otherwise you don't change and you kind of stay stale. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I have, I've had my own business advisors through the years and I've had different ones at different mm -hmm. periods of time, depending on where I am in my journey, my growth. And I've learned something of tremendous value from each one, even the one that at the time I didn't love. Right. Yes. You, <laughs> I later, know that. <laughs> as you grow, as you grow, then you reflect. If you as you grow, you start looking back and going, "Oh, okay, now I get 
what was going on there. And I get what they were trying to share. Or you might have, well, I have contrast. You know, I know what I don't want now. And, um, mm-hmm. But it's like we have business advisors. We, would, we tell people not to do their own legal work. We tell people not to do their own accounting. We tell people, you know, it's like we have advisors for all kinds of aspects of mm-hmm. our business. But why wouldn't you have a, a business coach? We, you know, professionals hire professionals. Yeah. It's the difference between I people agree. with million-dollar law practices, million-dollar revenue-generating law practices, and ones that can't get over the six-figure mark. Yes. is reaching yes. out hiring professionals to help you, you know? Totally, it's, totally. It's a mindset thing. One thing I've really yeah. learned in the last maybe three years, as I said, if we've, we've really grown, is about mindset. Is yes, you know, and it's not therapy because that's another thing and that's all yeah, good. Right. But for me, it's the idea that what you want to grow, what you want to focus on expands. And so the idea that you want to you wanna really check your mindset, do that personal work, do that fear work, whatever it is that is holding you back, you know, and it's a constant, it's not like you do it once and you're done. But I do think being able to challenge yourself when you're, when you're getting down on yourself, because you've had a bad month or whatever, and you just got to flip that channel and just say, look what I've done. Of course, next month's going to be super. These are the steps I'm taking. And it's about that ability to be resilient and bounce back and not let disappointments or even failures or things you've tried that didn't work, stop you. You keep going. And I think that's something that we need to really give ourselves that credit for. Women are very resilient. And so right. we just need to keep moving forward. And you know, you when you, you, you said that not letting failure stop you, you know, it's, you're not really a legitimate entrepreneur <laughs> and business owner, <laughs> unless you've had some mm-hmm. failures in there, because mm-hmm. that's part of the journey. And the ones who are ultimately successful are the ones who can can take those experiences and not let it get to not transform that thought into I'm a failure. You know what I mean? Yes. Just because yes. something happened that failed in my business or didn't go the way I wanted it to go or didn't work at all or whatever doesn't mean that I am a loser. You know, I'm not a That's failure. Correct. It's just That's part correct. of the learning and the journey. It was what I needed to learn at that time. Oh, yeah. You know, every day, every day I'm learning something new, you know, and I think too, really smart business owners are always reading and always listening to podcasts and all the people that I, even who you surround yourself with also affects your mindset and affects your success, right? So so We need to make sure we're surrounding ourselves with people who have that same growth mentality, development, inner work, personal work, but also the the reality of what are your numbers? How are you doing? So whether it's like one of those tech groups or EO or YP or personal business coach or whatever you're working with, it's the idea that who you surround yourself also is a reflection of you. And I think that helps you to just keep on moving. You can't stop. You can take a pause, go on vacation, rest, you know, recharge, um, have a big glass of wine, whatever you need. But then, you know, you need to know the next day you're back at it. And I think that's really important. Yeah. What I love about your story is that, that I think will be an inspiration to a lot of people, is that you you started your firm and, and then shortly started your family mm-hmm. and did both because, I, and not just both, but both in a way that's created a lot more for you. So you, you you didn't settle for, I'm just going to recreate a job for myself. 
you said, I'm going to create a business that makes yeah. a certain amount of revenue that employs a certain amount of people. And when you got stuck, you said, well, maybe I need to look out here and find people who can help me. And you found a yeah. group of lawyers, you know, that yeah. were similarly situated or maybe a step above where you are mm -hmm. and said, you know, this, what can I learn? And you were open to that. Because I think so often, uh, so many times people sort of women attorneys, uh, law firm owners will, will stop themselves and say, I can only do this at this point in my life. I can't do that and have this expectation as well that I'm going to be able to have the time and energy to create a big business. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I think, I think it's really important for women not to settle. You know, I mean, I think we all see it sometimes with different friends or colleagues, people you meet and, Oh, I'll settle for this. And I guess that that's the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a lawyer. Right. And, mm -hmm. and it's not to say that at different times, I mean, I've been a lawyer at a firm and I did really well and I was really happy and I learned everything I know good and bad. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, and I learned what I wanted out of life and helped me get really clear. So I don't think there's ever anything bad with not owning, not running the show. But I think at some point, some of us get to the place where you know you think you can do it better. And I don't want to live with with regret or resentment about, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. It's just like what, for me, my attitude is what do I got to lose? I have a practice. No matter what, I have knowledge in my head. And that's the thing with professionals. We have the knowledge that's in our head. We're professional services firm. And I knew, worst case, I could always get another job mm -hmm. somewhere. That wasn't, you know, that there was no fear. And really, it was like, what do I have to lose? failure doesn't work, then I can always go back to practicing law somewhere else. But uh, at the same time, I knew that I was motivated, that I wanted some flexibility. You know, like I control my schedule. I know when I'm, when I need a vacation, it's done. I try to take breaks every couple months, uh, even if just four or five days or a week is because as a single parent, in order to parent well, I knew early on I needed to find the balance. I could not keep both and be the good at both. And so I started going to yoga retreats, having meditation retreats, finding places where I could just go and clear my head and come back rested and able to really engage with work and with kids. It's never been a perfect balance. Believe me, I don't believe in perfection. I don't think it right. is. And I think that women sometimes think they have to be perfect and everything has to be perfect before they launch it. I have thrown so many videos on social media and even so many articles and blogs that I look back and I'm like, oh my God. But you know what? I don't regret them because I think getting it out there is more important sometimes than getting it perfect. Getting oh, it yeah, published. Published is mm -hmm. better than perfect any day. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody's going to judge us as harshly as we judge ourselves. Exactly. I, mean, I don't love yep. the way that I look on video, but I put videos out. Me neither. Other yeah. people are not sitting there. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they're they're focused on on what you're saying and how you're saying yeah. it. The and message. what you're sharing with them, right? You yeah. know. Yeah, I love it when I love it when people come in the office or they call and say, you know what? I watched your videos, and I'm like, I always say, oh, and then they say, no, <laughs> they're like, oh no, they were great, and you know, I really feel like I know you. I'm I'm talking on the phone with you and I'm in Spain or I'm in the UK, but I feel like I know who you are. And those are the things that matter because they want to work with somebody that they feel like they can build a rapport with. And they trust you them. before they, they ever they trust you before they ever meet you in person. They already trust you 
no that's life it. and trust. Right? That's it. And that's how I feel about you. When I've been watching your videos, I'm like, oh, I love her hair. Look how energetic she is. She's got great, you know, and the message. But it's like, it's yeah. also you like, like, you know me. like, yeah. And that's what, that's what it does for you. So, you know, when I, I have to say, like, I'm an immigrant myself in Canada here. I, we were born, I was born in Ghana in West Africa. We moved to Canada when I was five. So for me, immigration is personal. And it's only been the last couple of years where I've started to See, why am I not doing corporate commercial, which is what I used to be. I used to be a corporate commercial lawyer. I hated it. But I found an area where I somehow feel it resonates for me. And I really believe it's the journey of going through my own immigration experience, starting over with my family, having one, my sister born in Canada, me being born in Africa, and and just the, the struggles of having no extended family when you first arrive. And those are things that I get. And even if it's an executive, you understand the stress of it. And it's personal. And I think that if I can reflect that to people, that this is personal. This is not just, I'm here to, you're, you're not a file to me. You're a person going through transition. And it's exciting. And the opportunity is there. But I'm helping you build a legacy. I, your children's children are going to be Canadian immigrants or American citizens. And, you know, and it just, it's a wonderful privilege. And if they can understand that I relate to them on that level, then I think we're already bonded. We're already bonded. And they're already giving me some of their trust. And the rest right. is about performance and meeting that expectation of trust. Right. I love here. You've got some publications out there that people can access. And I already printed and already downloaded the Moving to Canada one. <laughs> Are you coming? <laughs> I thought that was absolutely awesome. I'm like, oh, I'm hanging on to it. We're going to see how the next uh, presidential I know. Goes. I know. You never know. <laughs> That's right. And, and you tapped into something with that because you said, you know, there are a lot of what I thought was really fascinating was like after the last presidential election, the, the website crashed for how to, <laughs> how to move to Canada. Right. Yep. And yep. So really tapped into something with that. Um, what do you think are some of the differences? Because you, you do you practice immigration in both the United States and Canada, correct? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the differences between the two? And, you know, you don't have to get too political with me if you don't want no. to. But I mean, I'm just curious, like, what do you think some of the differences are between the two countries with regard oh, yeah. to immigration? You know what? I mean, I really feel I've, I've been asked this question quite a bit. I feel like Canada was formed differently. I really feel like the creation of Canada was very peaceful. You know, and I think that also affects how we are as an, as a nation. We're just a different beast than the U.S. The U.S. it fought its liberation. It's a you know it has a history of really really coming through to create itself. And I think how it was formed is really pivotal as well in kind of how it's developed. So when when people think about Canadian immigration, I mean we are like come to Canada. <laughs> Our right, doors right. are open. We are, we are, we are all about multiculturalism. You know, like we yeah. had the first Trudeau, you know, Pierre Trudeau. And it was like, that's how my parents came to Canada in the early seventies. And it was come to Canada. We need people. We're so big as a country, but we're so underpopulated because we're in such a cold climate as further North you go. And I feel like the difference is, in America, I mean, I love my American friends and family, but I think politically, it just formed differently and it became more like 
you're a melting pot. You leave some of your culture behind in Canada. It's you come here and you become a part of the mosaic here. You bring right. it with you. And I think that just is, is created a different culture here. So, and even our immigration officials, it's different. We don't want people, of course, you know, being illegal or whatever, just the same. However, the way we approach that is, is very different. And, um, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but I just feel like the way we were started has impacted how we view immigration. And yeah, so therefore, you know, I'm hearing from a, yeah, I'm hearing from a lot of Americans who want to just talk about it. They're, they love their country. We love America. We're our closest trading partner. We don't want anything to affect those close ties. But I can tell you the experience of Canadians nowadays trying to go in the U.S. for business meetings or even to get a work permit or to live there is very different from the experience it used to be at the border. And in Canada, we don't want Canada to change that way. We're hoping that we can go back to some of that smooth and easy border that we're used to, right? The trade that we're used to. I'm so happy that NAFTA, the new NAFTA is now, you know, finalized because we have to recognize we are basically the same on a lot of cultural levels. And so I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping to see some changes or not. Um, the fact that I do both sides of the border and then I also work with a wonderful couple of colleagues in the U.S. who do all the permanent green card stuff that we don't do in our office. We outsource it to great professional women. So I love working with women as much as I can. All my vendors, almost all of them are women. And in our office, we only have two men and everyone else is a female. And we've had years when they're only women. So it's not necessarily that I've gone out of my way to create a female-only firm. It's just happened that way. And I'm grateful for it. And a lot of immigrant women have been my clients or, or my employees as well. So they're also coming as immigrants. So the experience becomes very personal to them too. Right. And that's right, been right. wonderful. Yeah. You have a real deep understanding of your clients that way. Um, mm. I, I traveled to, it's been many years, but I traveled to Toronto and then to Montreal and uh, Toronto just, um, I just loved it. I love the feeling mm-hmm. of it because it, it, like you said, it, it, it was so multicultural yep. and felt so welcoming. Yes. Felt so yes. welcoming. It, it's, you know, I live, I loved living there 12 years. I was there and my, my family was like, you're never coming back West. You know, yeah. like I just loved it. And at the same time, it was time. I, I'd done everything I wanted there and everything I became as a lawyer and my best friends are there, everything was there. But I also felt like you have to choose where you want to be. And I knew, I knew as a single parent, I needed my family. They're a one hour flight away, you know, much, much closer than a four or five hour flight. And that makes weekends possible. That makes, you know, just hop on a plane and come possible. And those are things that became more important to me. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. I can't believe it's almost 10 years in December. This year will be 10 years. (laughs) That's so exciting. That's so exciting. Tell me some of the, before we wrap up here in a few minutes, tell Mm -hmm. me some of the, some of the challenges that you think you've had in your growth as far as, you know, like growing your team or systems or, you know, you said Mm -hmm. you use virtual, you know, so you tell me what kinds of things do you think have been like the biggest sort of challenges for you? And then what do you think have been on the flip side of that? the things that have just been, you know, great surprises. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the challenge for me, um, 
has been trying to balance life, you know, personal and professional. And it's a constant, you know, battle and taking carving time and exercising and traveling alone and trying to just recharge, trying to really working my life so that it looks the way I want it most of the time, obviously not all the time. Um, I think for me, it was really realizing that I was doing everything and I wasn't getting necessarily the results that I wanted. So mm-hmm. that was when I, as I said, I've, I've had different business coaches over my entire career, but in the last three years, really looking at the importance of developing myself as a leader, staff has been a challenge. I'm not in Toronto where there's a huge um, lawyer, you know, population of immigration lawyers. I'm not in Vancouver where there's a huge population of immigration lawyers, right? I'm in Alberta, which is less, it's, it's less diverse. It's, it's definitely improving, but it's been different and it's been harder to find the skill set that I need. Um, and so uh-huh. that's, that's been my biggest challenge is actually recruiting because, you know, during the boom when every oil and gas was high and everybody was making tons of money, it was great. It was easier to attract people to Alberta. But now that we were having this, you know, OPEC and all these different challenges with oil and gas and the price is low and companies are laying off people, it's harder to attract because it's like, why would I come there? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. housing might, might be cheaper. House, you know, yeah. Housing must be, might be cheaper. Yeah. It's like housing might be te- cheaper, but it's, it's hard to find the expertise. So I've had to really look at how can I outsource what I need? Because essentially throughout the 10 years, yeah, I've had lawyers, I've trained articling students, I've had junior associates. I have been looking for a mid to senior level associate for years like it's not it's not something and you want to develop them and train them and keep them and as I said sometimes you lose them to more money bigger firms more prestige I don't know and so so those have been my struggle and in the last year I've invested a lot of time and money in developing me as a leader because I realized that you know yes I'm a manager yes I'm a supervisor. Yes, I'm a great lawyer and I'm running a business. But the leadership piece around how you motivate staff and sharing the vision with them, sharing your business plan and where they're going and where their future will be in the firm, those are things I wasn't doing as great a job at to show them what's in this for you besides the monetary. What are you getting from being a part of this incredible team? Um, And so I'm working on that and I've been doing a lot of coursework and reading on my leadership development to help with recruitment and to help with with retention. That's been the biggest challenge, I think. In all, and when I meet with all the other lawyers, <laughs> that's I don't feel so bad because I realize, okay, we're all living the dream, you know? It's so funny that, that this is that. this I, is very common, you know? Right. It's so funny that you said that because I'm actually teaching uh, all of my private clients are gathering for a our wealthy woman lawyer workshop in uh, on March 30th. And the topic I'm teaching, uh, I have a guest speaker coming to talk about team and things like that, team building and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, hiring processes and things, but I'm actually Mm -hmm. teaching leadership, leadership for women law firm owners because this is something, so it's funny that you mentioned this because it's so um, on topic right now. And it's the thing I've been doing this work now for about seven years and it's something that I really have noticed that mm-hmm. is where the, where the struggle is, particularly as we start getting 
closer or wanting to get to that million dollar mark or get over mm-hmm. that million dollar mark, we have to change who we are. We have to learn some new skills because yep. you're used to doing and creating and, and managing and all that. But leadership is an entirely different skill set. And we just yeah. kind of, it's going to come naturally, right? <laughs> you no. Know? Nope. And I, you know what? I always thought I was a leader, but there's a difference between being a leader out there and doing your thing and leading in your, in your business, right? That's the difference. Right. Absolutely. What is your, what, uh, is there a book you're reading right now on leadership? Oh, I'm always reading a book. Right now I'm reading, again, John Maxwell, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good one. I've got a bunch of books going all the time. And it's always around, you know, um, even like Find Your Why, that book about why we do what we do. Because if you know it, then you can share that vision. Um, we're, we've been doing some workshops internally in the firm with our HR consultant on helping staff develop their goals and their values. What are their core values? So making sure that their values align with my values and the firm's values and the goals. So it's just, I really, it's an investment, but I feel like it's a necessary investment because yeah. if you don't invest in them, they're not going to invest in you, right? right. Um so yeah, that's been a big, that's been a big eye opener. That's been my biggest challenge. I mean, I would say my biggest success has been that I'm still here, that I've, you know, I've, uh, I've been, I've employed a number of people in almost 10 years. I've, I've had, you know, growth and, um, and stability and we're expanding. This will be a big year of expansion and that, you know, I've been able to stay independent and kind of choose the life I want on my terms. And one thing about when I left big firm was sometimes when you're in a big organization, especially one that was very, very Caucasian, very white, you know, there are not a lot of people, especially in Canada, that were at the levels that I was at, that I was like, I'm determined to get to partner no matter what. And you put in all that time and you get there and then you start thinking, is this all there is? Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. It's yeah. not, the salary is fine, but also you also feel like you still have to check yourself at the door. And by that, I mean, it's like you leave parts of yourself behind. And what I wanted to build and what I do focus on every day is bringing my, all of myself to work every day. And I want my staff to feel like they can come to work and be who they are and not feel like we have to fit into the navy blue suit box, you know, that, and, and fit and have the right hair and have the right, no but that you can bring yourself to work, all of you, and be in a comfortable, supportive space to do your best work. And that's always been my goal. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to do that. And I think that's probably, probably why I'm unemployable now. Because <laughs> no one else yeah, I know. will hire me. <laughs> okay. my, my, uh, my long entrepreneurial uh, past now, uh, the way an HR person would read my resume <laughs> does not play well with others or, you know, something. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, Too independent. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's okay. I have uh, my dream to have more and more women creating their own big law firms, right? Why do mm. we have to get into quote unquote big law where mm-hmm. the, all of the named partners are what I call the white guy, white guy over 50 club or yep. now, now that I'm in my fifties, I call them the white guy over 60 club. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why, why the, I mean, 
there is there we need women obviously who are working from within and of moving course. out and those kind of things. But I just think to myself, you know what? If you don't like it, go create your own big law firm and don't stop, don't settle for mm-hmm. just creating, you know, a small firm. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with people who just want a small firm because, uh, you know, my yeah. business is an example of a small, you know, business. I like to keep it small, keep it all, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. But, That's smart. But I, I, I love it. I love to hear stories of women creating million over a million dollar revenue generating mm-hmm. a year because now we're really creating something where like you said you can hire yes. people who you know might not be able to uh want to be a part of some of these big law firm cultures that are out there mm-hmm. that they want to be accepted for who they are the way that they are without trying to conform to this way of thinking or way of being exactly yeah exactly and giving them that freedom you know is something that i I think that's what the value proposition is is yes of course we want to pay fairly and pay well and give incentives and all of that but also it's the idea that we want to develop you and train you and give you some great you know skill sets and create a place that feels safe and welcoming and yeah so no it's a day to day no matter what no matter what ethnicity mm-hmm. no matter what gender no matter what you know exactly right right exactly <laughs> well, evelyn thank you so much for being here i you know this has been just so much fun and i know we could keep oh, talking oh thank for a while, you <laughs> we will wrap it up um and well why don't you tell us where we can find more information about you and your firm and <laughs> Maybe check out your podcast or see your videos or that kind of thing. Sure, sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Davina. I'm so grateful. Um, so our website for ACA Business Immigration Law is at acalaw.com. That's A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com. And you can find us as well on YouTube and all social media. Um, and also uh, you can call us at 403-452-9515. And we can talk all things immigration. I love it. I talk about it all day long and it just makes me happy. And I always say we practice happy law at ACA Law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And I know there will be a lot of women uh, law firm owners who will love to have that um, that cross-country connection with you and expand their outside of their state and their horizons and get to know mm-hmm. more about you and how you're practicing there and all of that. So we have a friend in Canada. We're happy about that. Um, <laughs> Anytime. I yeah. love it. I love it when I hear from my other colleagues and, you know, I'm a member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association too. So I love it when someone just picks up the phone. I'm one of the first lawyers on the list under alphabet with the A and this just to yeah. call and, and ask a question. And for me, it's also building a referral network for myself down South as well. So I'm always looking for a team of, skilled lawyers and people in business that I can refer my clients to when they go down to the States to, to grow their businesses. Right. Right. Fabulous. Well, I'm glad you were here and I thank you so, so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast is sponsored by Wealthy Woman Lawyer LLC. We help women law firm owners build wealth generating law firms without overwork and overwhelm so they can reclaim their time and create the lives of their dreams. 
If you are ready to create more of what you truly desire in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up for our free training, How to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at WealthyWomanLawyer.com slash webinar.